without further ado, let's start talking about is your marketing department GDPR ready? First of all, we'll cover off a piece of housekeeping. So we're recording this webinar. So uh, if you've got colleagues who weren't able to make it today um, or anything like that, then do please um, uh, encourage them to um, uh, to view the video. It'll be available on uh, um, on YouTube or from the Fifth Step website, as you can see there. And indeed, we turn them into podcasts as well. So do please encourage people to uh, sign up for them. You will receive an email in probably about a couple of days' time letting you know uh, the details of where to download or where to access the, the, the podcast and the video. This is what we're intending to do today. We're intending to take you through uh, what the headline and scope of GDPR um, is. There's a lot of discussion about GDPR at the moment, so I will cover the headlines and the broad scope um, on the assumption that many people will already know what GDPR is. If anyone's got any um, questions I can either answer during the course of the presentation, though, um, then ask away, and if they're um, uh, very detailed, then uh, perhaps I'll take them offline. So we're going to cover the headlines and scope, and we're going to help you understand some of the terminology that's used within GDPR, and we're going to help you understand the definition of private and sensitive data, as it's defined in the GDPR, and we're going to understand the rights of the data subjects, um, very, very important aspects, and the impact of GDPR on common marketing uh, processes. So the key aspects that you guys are going to want to know about today, we're going to cover off um, some of the key ones. I'm sure there's going to be many more that you guys are going to have questions about. So, as I said, please do ask those as we go through. And we're going to talk about some of the consequences of a data breach. Okay? And then we're going to talk about how you can get on the path um, to, uh, to compliance and what you need to do um, to actually get things uh, in motion. Okay, so, let's, uh, let's keep cracking on. So, the headlines for GDPR, um, and I've just included a couple here. Um, these really sum up uh, what many people are considering to be um, the key parts of GDPR. Um, so GDPR applies to companies irrespective of their geographic location, so long as they are collecting, storing, or otherwise processing personal or sensitive personal information about EU residents. Okay. Key there is that your processing data about EU residents. It's not about EU citizens, um, and if you are an organization that's based in uh, the US, and I know we have a, a number of people from the US um, watching today, um, if you're an organization that's based in the US, but you have European clients and you're storing their, their data, then you need to be considering that uh, too, or you will be part of the GDPR as well. The fines for non-compliance, um, now these are the scary numbers that you'll be seeing in all of the media, um, but the fines for non-compliance can be as high as 20 million euros, which is um, about, uh, what, about 17 million pounds or about uh, 21, 22 million dollars uh, uh, at the moment, or 4% of annual global turnover. So 4% of annual global turnover, that's going to you know, hurt even the, the larger organizations, uh, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, let alone um, some of the larger insurers um, would um, start to fall into that category. Um, and it's the higher of those two numbers, so it's not as if you have a choice uh, between the two, it's always the higher of those two numbers. Uh, GDPR will apply to um, UK-based companies irrespective um, of um, Brexit. Um, it's an important aspect. The UK government. Um, it's an important aspect uh, that someone has just said that they perhaps can't see the screen. I'm hoping that uh, I've uh, shared it and reshared it. So I'm hoping that uh, you can now um, see that. If uh, anyone's still having difficulties, do please um, just uh, ping me in the uh, in the question area there, and I'll make sure that uh, uh, that we do something about that. Great stuff. Someone's confirmed they can see it. So that's good news. Okay, I will carry on. Um, uh, GDPR will be enforced from uh, May 2018. So, in fact, it's the 25th of May uh, 2018. So, um, the Information Commissioner's Office, that's the Data Protection Authority here in the UK, has stressed that it's going to be a, a softer landing. Um, and now I'm taking that to mean that they're not going to be uh, really can, uh, really. Uh, being uh, strict um, in the first couple of months, um, but bearing in mind that they've 
been talking about GDPR for the last two years. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how, how soft a soft landing that's going to be, or indeed how long that soft landing is going to last. So the target is for everyone to be uh, GDPR compliant uh, from May the, uh, May the 25th, uh, 2018. A glossary of terms. Now, we're going to make these slides available after the event, so I'm going to talk about some of the, the key ones here, um, but you'll have this, um, you know, you can uh, download a copy of the slides if you think this, uh, this uh, slide in particular is useful to you. Um, you can download that after the event and um, understand exactly uh, what these uh, what these are? These are, of course, only a summary. The the GDPR defines them uh, with a lot more detail. But these uh, these this glossary contains a really good summary and something that's useful to you, I'm sure. Key aspects so, or key phrases uh, that we'll talk about. Um, let's talk about personal data first of all, um, because it is at the very heart of what the GDPR is about. So it's information relating to a named or otherwise identifiable individual. Okay, absolutely key phrase there, identifiable individual. And this includes any uh, expressions of opinion about the individual and any, and, excuse me, and any indications of the intentions of the data controller or other person in respect of that individual. So um, that could include, in marketing terms, that include, could include um, your campaigns where you're segmenting individuals um, into, into campaign groups. Um, you know, if you're separating high net worth individuals, for example, um, so you're taking uh, an opinion on, on people. Um, uh, that information, not only their personal information, their name, their address, their email address, etc., um, is uh, considered personal information, but also that opinion um, of them that they are a high net worth individual can also be considered to be personal information. IP addresses are also personal information, so I include this um, information from um, for marketeers because very often uh, marketeers are uh, including um, uh, analytics, uh, Google Analytics and other uh, types of um, analytics on websites these days to understand where people are coming from. So you're collecting um, IP addresses and you're also recording cookies. Those, that kind of information is considered to be personal information under the terms of the, uh, of the GDPR. Okay, that's a change from the Data Protection Act, uh, or a clarification, should I say, from the Data Protection Act, um, which uh, obviously was invented or came into power long before the internet was really uh, a big thing, and certainly long before cookies were uh, a popular thing. I'm also going to talk about now the, uh, the data controller. Uh, it's another key phrase. So the data controller is the person, company, or organization who determines the purpose and manner of processing of personal data. In other words, the body responsible for the data. So in most instances, for most of the people who are registered um, on, this, uh, on this webinar today, it's going to be your employer. Um, it's going to be your employer who's actually uh, the data controller. And as, uh, as an employee of that organization, um, you are entitled to use the data for the purpose for which it was um, collected. Um, but as a data controller, you're specifying or the organization is specifying why the data is being collected. Now, you can have one or more purposes for collection, um, but marketing has to be specified as one of the reasons. You can't say we're collecting this data for the purpose of um, providing a service and then uh, decide that you're going to use it for marketing as well. Okay, that's called a, a change of use, and you have to make sure that the, the data subjects are signed up to that change of use. And the last one I'm going to talk about on this uh, on this slide is consent. Uh, consent is has always been important for data privacy, um, but uh, the GDPR enforces this even more. And consent has to be freely given and. Um, and specific. Okay, so that means that you can't have pre-filled tick boxes anymore. Uh, and I will cover um, some of the conflicts that that might uh, raise um, in a further slide. But you can't have the pre-filled tick boxes, and you can't just say, "Oh, we're we're taking your data to to use it for whatever we want to use it for." You have to be very specific in terms of the purpose. Okay, um, but as I say there in the last uh, sentence, uh, consent should be positive consent, i.e., opt-in. So let's talk a little bit about, more about personal data, just um, from the high level, and then I'll talk about it from a marketing um, perspective. Okay, 
um, in all of these uh, these slides, um, there's two or three um, in this uh, this part of the presentation. Um, I'll talk about and I'll reference the specific articles. That means that if you feel that you need to go and do further research in this area, you're armed with the right information to get you started and you're not going to have to read the whole of uh, the GDPR documentation uh, to understand um, you know, what I'm talking about here or, or to do your further re research. So, as I said, personal data is any information relating to an identified or identifiable natural person and they're called the data subject. Now, for marketing purposes, um, it's good to note that this uh, includes names, physical addresses, email addresses, um, social media addresses are also um, identifiable information, and cookies, as I've already mentioned, and of course the dreaded IP addresses. So, whilst it's less important for most marketing departments, you should um, take notice of the fact that GDPR states that it's any information. So, this can include um, physical documents, not just um, you know, computer based or digital uh, records. Um, as I say, that's more important for um, some HR departments and things, but it's important to understand that, um, that you don't, uh, you're not off the hook if you're storing everything on paper. Personal sensitive data. Um, here we're talking about um, information that is, um, that identifies or um, uh, identifies more sensitive uh, information about uh, an individual, about the data subject. Now, these are things, uh, I, I classify these things as um, things that people have been uh, persecuted for or are particularly um, uh, personal to a, a person. So they're genetic information, biometric data, um, their uh, sex life or sexual orientation, their race, ethnic origins, um, uh, religious or philosophical beliefs, all those kind of things. So if your organization, again, uh, to put it into marketing campaign, uh, or marketing terms, if you're running a marketing campaign that um, talks about, um, you know, it's a union members campaign, then you should understand that um, you are actually uh, creating uh, sensitive personal data there by identifying um, uh, the recipients of that campaign or participants in that campaign as um, union members. So something to take um, uh, to take note of. And you'll see there I've put a, a little yellow note um, there um, um, to talk about age restrictions. Now many of the people are on the um, on the webinar uh, and probably listening to this as podcasts as well um, perhaps won't be dealing a lot with age restricted data but you should understand that uh, the GDPR considers um, a person to be um, a child up to well, actually, it varies slightly between um, uh, countries, but really, certainly by the time they are 16, but in most regions, it will be um, um, when they are, are 13 years old. Okay, so up until the age of 13, um, they are con certainly considered a child, and it may be as much as um, 16. So, if you are offering uh, products or services that are um, intended for or are going to be consumed by uh, minors, um, then you uh, then you have to take account of that. You have to take um, particular care of the data, and you also have to have uh, parental consent or uh, guardians' consent to use the data as well. I mentioned earlier on about the importance of a uh, of the purpose, the data collection purpose. Um, within GDPR, you have to really be specific about what you're, what you're collecting the data for. Um, so you're going to collect it for the provision of a service. If you're going to collect the data and use it for marketing, then you have to, uh, you have to say that and make that clear too. And what's more, you have to be able to allow people to opt out of certain aspects. So marketing would be one of those areas uh, where people uh, would be given and should be given the opportunity to opt out of um, you know, opt out of um, marketing or receiving uh, additional information about your products. It's absolutely key um, that the data collection purpose states why the data is being collected, how it's going to be used and how long it's kept for too. And you should also um, include any information about um, third parties who are going to be given access to the data and you must include the, the details of your data protection officer. Um, we'll cover, I think, um, the details of why the data protection officer is in a little bit more detail um, in a little while. Um, but the key aspect there is that 
um, you need to have a contact point, and this needs to be telephone and email address type uh, contact point, um, so that a data subject can um, inquire about how their data is being used, and indeed enforce the the rights of the data subject. And we'll touch on uh, touch on those right now. I'll just draw out. Uh, um, some of the, the key ones of these, not all of these apply to um, in a marketing setting or in most marketing settings that I'm uh, certainly that I'm familiar with, um, but I'll touch on some of the right, uh, some of the, the key rights here. Um, the first one, the right to be informed is absolutely critical and, and it's something that marketing departments um, must be aware of and must ensure that uh, the data subjects when they when when you're sending out uh, newsletters or you're obtaining people's uh, data in order to market to them um, that they understand the data purpose exactly the aspects that we were talking about uh, previously um, so they um, they're making a fully informed uh, decision to opt-in and to uh, provide their data and they know what they're providing it for the right of access, I'll just cover that very quickly because it's not uh, too uh, marketing orientated, but the right of access means that the data subject has the right to um, request to know what personal data your organization is holding on them and how you're using it. The right to rectification may, uh, may be, and it's actually quite uh, uh, an interesting aspect from a marketer's perspective, you have to um, correct the data and maintain the data um, when it's identified as being incorrect. So if someone comes to you and says, I want a copy of my data, um, and when uh, you provide that data, they say, oh, well, my address is uh, you know, three years out of date. Here's my new address. Um, you must update that. You must keep that information updated. So the data subject has a right to ensure that their data is correct. The right to erasure, this is usually the point where I make a joke about um, uh, other 80s bands, 1980s bands are available. But the right to erasure means that um, you, the data subject has the right to request that their data be deleted. Um, so think about the consequences of that from a, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, it may mean that, um, uh, that someone is um, gonna request that their information is deleted, that your, your your campaign numbers go down by one or two or, or, or whatever as people um, uh, request to be removed from marketing uh, campaigns or just ask your organization um, to, uh, um, uh, you know, to stop processing their data. The right to restrict processing um, can have a marketing aspect. Um, it means that um, um, a data subject can ask for their data not to be processed in a particular way. That could include marketing. Right to data portability, not really a marketing issue, but it means that people can ask for a copy of their personal data in a machine-readable form. So uh, in a way that they can um, perhaps go to one of these um, uh, websites, um, you know, insurance websites, where they can, um, you know, something like uh, compare the market or something like that, where they can go there and uh, put in their details and um, decide that they are going to move insurer after all and then they can click a button that says, I'm asking for a copy of my data so that I can provide it to my new insurance company. Uh, the right to object is um, really uh, combined with uh, uh, the right to restrict processing. Um, the data subject has the right to, um, to say, I don't want my data be, to be processed in this way um, and um, to um, you know, uh, either ask for the data to be erased ultimately or just to restrict the way that the data is used. So again, it may be that um, someone requests to be removed from a marketing list or not to be included in certain types of marketing. Again, not a marketing one, but the right to manual processing uh, means that um, um, the data subject can ask for a, uh, an individual assessment of their case. So uh, where someone's uh, refused for a mortgage, for example, um, because the computer said no, um, it could be that they actually asked for a, 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 human, a human assessment of, the, uh, of their case and of their mortgage application. So marketing is different in the terms of GDPR. I know I, I won't be um, um, receiving any, uh, any shouts of disagreement from the audience um, here that marketing is different. But it's, but it's different in terms of uh, the Data Protection Act because Recital 70 um, states, and I'll read it out for uh, the podcast listeners, but um, it states that where personal data 
are processed for the purposes of direct marketing and specifically the data subject should have the right to object to such processing including objecting to profiling to the extent that's related to, to such marketing direct marketing and uh, whether with regard to initial or further processing at any time and free of charge um, they should be able to um, uh, they should be able to uh, object to that and that the right should be explicitly brought to the attention of the data subject presented cr clearly and separate from any other information so as part of your data uh, purpose you need to be drawing out the fact that they can object at any point in time and they can actually um, um, uh, assert any of the rights of the data subject Okay, so recital 70 um, is in, enacted in Article 21, um, the right to object. Um, so that's where it all uh, it all comes to um, together around uh, marketing. Uh, now, marketing is the only function, um, you know, the only business function uh, that's actually mentioned explicitly within um, the, the GDPR. So um, you can understand how um, seriously um, the um, you know the, uh, the regulators are going to consider this going forward uh, and indeed why it's important that uh, that you as marketeers and as marketing departments understand exactly uh, what the rights are and how to enact them and how to keep them right side of the, uh, of, the of the law and of the regulation Some of you will be familiar, um, undoubtedly, with the Privacy and Electronics Communications Regulation, uh, PECR. And there are a number of cases, and I've seen number on a number of um, forums where people are talking about um, contradictions or, or perceived contradictions in PCR and the GDPR. Um, I'll give one example here um, where the, the PECR allows tick boxes um, to be pre-ticked. Um, you know, so you can say, "Oh, I opt in um, to receive marketing." Um, it, uh, the PECR allows um, users um, or allows those tick boxes to be pre-ticked for the user, whereas the, G the GDPR does not permit pre-ticked um, tick boxes for such things. So um, it has to be an active consent, as uh, as I said earlier on. So at first glance, this looks as if uh, the GDPR and the PECR. Uh, are actually in conflict with one another, but the PCR is not saying you must pre-tick. It's saying that it's permitted. You know, um, we're not recommending one way or another, but it is permitted to do so. Whereas the GDPR is is, is explicitly saying where you're seeking consent, you should not be um, pre-ticking the uh, the tick boxes. So. Um, I understand how people understand that as a you know as a conflict, but one is a guideline and saying it's okay to do so. Um, the other is saying. Um, things have moved on and actually it's not okay to do so now. Now there are going to be some changes to the PECR um, over time. Um, the original uh, time frame saw these being uh, changed and coming into force around about the same time as uh, the GDPR. The reality is though that's, that's just not happening. Um, so, um, so for the time being there will still be those, uh, those perceptions of, um, of conflict or differences. Ultimately, though, um, the GDPR um, is is likely to um, to win out in um, certainly in cases like this, where it's it's, it's explicitly saying um, that you shouldn't do something. But as um, as marketing departments and as marketeers, you must be um, conscious of all the regulation that you that you need to adhere to, uh, depending on the type of marketing and your approach to that marketing that you're undertaking. The soft opt-in rule is no more. So um, I've sort of uh, covered this um, a little bit um, uh, in some of the previous things I've said, but under the Data Protection Act, it was acceptable uh, to consider a data subject as consenting to receive marketing information um, if they bought a service that was similar to the one that you wanted to market them to, uh, market to them about. Um, that's no longer permissible under uh, GDPR. So if you have been making use of the soft opt-in rule, so if you've been selling, uh, if your company has been selling people a, a product and um, has then been marketing the upgrade to that, uh, that product to them um, uh, without seeking explicit consent from the data subject, you need to be changing those processes and thinking about those processes right now um, so that you've got an active consent. 
Um, and what's more, uh, where you are doing that and you have been doing that in the past, you need to be updating your database um, to ensure that you've got active uh, consent uh, you know, going forward, that you're not uh, relying on the soft opt-in rule uh, any longer. Um, that, I would say, is uh, something that uh, many organisations and marketers are going to be uh, considering and need to think about quite, uh, you know, uh, think quite a lot about, and I'll cover some aspects, um, some follow-on aspects of that uh, in the next slide, I think. There we go. Mailing lists and, um, and contact databases. Um, most organisations have mailing lists and contact lists. Um, many of them um, have perhaps not been 100% legal um, historically. I'm not casting aspersions about um, any uh, organisations or indeed um, sectors. I think it's just been a general aspect of misunderstanding of you know, what's, uh, what's, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. A uh, couple of organisations recently, uh, Flybee and um, Honda, um, were both fined uh, for misusing their, their mailing lists. Um, the key aspect here is that they were actually fined um, even though they were um, misusing their mailing lists in the quest for becoming GDPR compliant, which um, um, perhaps seems a little bit galling or seemed a little bit galling to those organisations. But what they were actually doing is mailing people who had, had opted out of receiving emails and asking them to update their information and change any of their mail their uh, their marketing preferences uh, by visiting this website. Um, a number of people complained to the Information Commissioner's Office, um, who ultimately um, you know, uh, levied these fines. Now, uh, Honda receiving a you know thirteen thousand pound fine. Obviously, I'm I'm sure um, you know whilst Honda weren't happy about it, it's obviously not a massive massive fine for an organisation the size of Honda, but it does um, underline the fact that. The Information Commissioner's Office takes it very seriously the uh, the proper use of um, of mailing lists and ensuring that people have um, provided consent and opted in have provided active opt-in um, certainly in the post GDPR world. So what should what should, what should you do next? This uh, little uh, chevron uh, diagram here um, uh, explains you should. Um, first of all, establish what data you have. If you don't have it in a single database, then that's um, certainly something you, that you should look at. Um, you know, depending on the size of your organisation, obviously it might be a database, it might be a CRM system, it might be um, you know, a, a big spreadsheet. Um, but establish what data you have. Ideally, centralise that so you can establish controls around it in a, in a sensible way. Um, establish what data you can use. Um, might even be better to uh, completely segregate the data that you can use from that that you can't. Um, you know, rather than just in a database having a, a field or a flag, or you know, in a in a spreadsheet having a column that you usually filter out from. Uh, what you don't want to do is have um, you know some junior member of, of staff, for example, come along and uh, send an email to uh, everyone on that list. Um, you know, ignoring the opt out and opt in uh, flags. And uh, all of a sudden, your organisation is you know finding itself in the same company as Flybee and Honda. You also need to establish if and how you can obtain consent. So, if people have actively opted out of receiving emails from you, um, then um, the chances are you're not going to be able to persuade them uh, otherwise, unless uh, they come and buy another uh, product or you get another opportunity to ask ask them to opt in uh, from your um, or to your marketing. Um, don't go out and try to actively canvass those people if they've up, uh, opted out. That, that's the direction of where fines like, um, you know, fines from the ICO um, lay. Um, other expressions of non-consent, it's important um, uh, to take, the, take these into account. Um, there are many types of um, lists that um, are opt-out lists. Um, in different countries. Um, in the UK, for example, the Telephone Preference Service, TPS, and the Mail Preference Service, MPS, are, are two of the most common. Um, uh, they uh, obviously allow people to express their preferences to receive um, advertising by, uh, by telephone and by mail. Uh, there isn't the same list for email at this point in time, although um, you've got to think that's not going to be um, too far away um, with the GDPR just around the corner, I could certainly see that um, see that coming along. Um, so make sure in any of your mailing campaigns or uh, telephone campaigns that you're uh, you're understanding 
which methods you can actually um, uh, contact your uh, your existing clients or your prospects or your mailing list, um, which methods they've uh, they've signed into. Under the GDPR, you need to understand where your data has come from. Um, um, now, this means that if you are buying lists of data, um, then you need to be able to identify the source there. If it's coming from within the organisation or as part of, a, um, you know, uh, if you're, if they're active clients, then you need to be able to um, understand that as well. Um, so the reason and rationale for that is if permission were um, removed, um, so if um, the the uh, the owner of the original list uh, that you bought um, removes the permission for you to be able to use that list or um, has you know everyone opts out of um, that list then you need to be able to um, identify that information and uh, and remove it from your your campaigns uh, to ensure that uh, you remain compliant many CRM systems and um, databases and obviously spreadsheets will not contain that uh, capability right at the moment. So it may mean that you have to add extra fields to your CRM or to your database or indeed your spreadsheet uh, to be able to capture that information. And there may be a task to actually go back and try and establish where that original data came from. Another important point around, uh, uh, around where the data came from, you have to be able to record and document people's consent. Um, so it's no, it's no use just having um, a tick box on your website and that people have to tick in order to proceed. You have to be able to record an evidence they've actually um, ticked that box and wish to proceed. Um, and you have to be able to evidence that in a way that um, if you did have a, an investigation from the uh, from a data protection authority, you know, the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK, for example, um, that you could actually say, oh yeah, at, uh, at 5 p.m. on the 1st of January, um, Bob Smith um, ticked the consent form. Getting atomic with uh, consent options, I'm, I'm, I'm not up for any awards for, uh, for writing headlines, but I, I do think that's one of, my, uh, uh, one of my better ones. I'll leave you guys to be the judge of that. But you have to be able to um, balance consent with um, real marketing preferences. Now, we've probably all seen on websites where you know, they'll ask uh, whether it's okay to contact you by email or by post or by SMS or by other methods and mechanisms. Um, the reasons that, you know, that we all probably understand why they do that is so that if you don't want to be connected, uh, contacted by SMS or telephone, for example, um, that if you're only giving the one option, then people will opt out of all, all options of contact. Whereas you may be able to refine their preferences slightly and, and um, you know, move them more into their comfort zone. You know, they may be okay with receiving um, updates about similar products by email, but they don't want uh, people phoning them at you know, 8 p.m. at night asking them whether, whether they're happy with their current product and whether they perhaps want to upgrade or whether they want to buy uh, a different insurance policy or whatever it may be. So what you can do here is offer real choice and that's where the, you know, uh, going to the atomic level um, can be useful but you've got to really balance that. No one wants to see a, um, you know, a sea of uh, tick boxes in front of them at the end of, um, you know, at, at the end of a, uh, the, uh, the end of a, uh, a personal data submission, you know, um, some kind of where you're asking for people's details. No one wants to see that C, but you might perhaps want to get down to a level of granularity where, um, you know, you're asking them, you know, can we use your data? Can we send you emails? Can we send you text messages? Can we send, send you our newsletter? You know, because again, people will opt in to certain things. So be, um, yeah, uh, find the appropriate level for your audience. An interesting aspect uh, around GDPR is it's um, increasing uh, people's understanding of the data that they have within the organization. A big part of what many organizations are going through at the moment is um, data mapping exercises so that they understand exactly what data they've got, how they can use it and things like that. So one of the recommendations that I've got, and we're, we're talking to a number of uh, people uh, about this, marketeers and marketing departments about this, but how to get closer to the chief information officer or the information management team, whoever's ultimately responsible for uh, the data within your organization, um, get closer to them and um, help, um, help them 
uh, help you in terms of the amount of information and, and data that you can use and how you can use it because there is a wealth in many organizations there's a wealth of underused and underutilized information some of which you might be able to use for trending purposes um, you know as I pointed out there um, you know not just direct marketing um, uses you may be able to um, identify how um, you know how you send uh, three newsletters before a sale or you know your sales always go up after a newsletter has gone out or something like that you can if you can identify those trends then that well may be that there's um, there's good marketing and data and further uses you can put that data to um, and legitimately too so get some additional benefit out of the GDPR um, help uh, uh, or get your CIO or the information management team um, to uh, work more closely with the marketing team to help you understand what data um, is in the organization and how you can use it. Ultimately, we're all aware that um, data breaches occur. Um, you know, there's been many high profile data breaches recently. Um, you know, Equifax, um, for example, um, is was well not only one of the one of the larger ones, not the biggest, unfortunately, but um, in terms of the type of data that was uh, that was stolen, um, it, it was very uh, you know it certainly fell into the the category of personal data, and it also fell into the category of um, you know sensitive and financial information as well. Everything you would need essentially to create a new identity uh, was stolen by the hackers um, who breached uh, Equifax. Now, marketing departments don't tend to carry uh, that sensitivity of data, but if a data breach should occur, then there's the other side of marketing and you know the, and PR that comes into play. And obviously, I, I know that we have uh, um, uh, some PR companies who are, are listening today. The opportunities there for you guys um, to be involved and help organisations, um, ideally before. Um, they uh, they have a breach, but certainly as part of the the breach response is something that's uh, um, that's uh, that's interesting and something that more organisations are looking at because um, you need to be prepared. You need to be able to be able to do a good job should a breach occur. Now GDPR places a lot of additional pressure on organisations. You only have 72 hours, so I repeat that number again: 72 hours um, to notify the information commissioner's office of a uh, of a breach okay now there are sizes and scale of breach and there are some guidelines uh, around that you know so um, if you have a breach of 10 people and it's name name address and email address and um, the chances are that you won't have to notify the information commissioner's office but you may decide it's prudent and uh, and the right thing to do to notify the data subjects okay but if you have a large breach, you're going to be notifying the Information Commissioner's Office and you're also going to be uh, probably in all likelihood notifying the data subjects. So understanding how you can do that, how you can um, uh, do that effectively and efficiently uh, comes down to a combination of you know, PR and marketing. And in the post-breach environment, marketing is going to be important to um, help uh, the organization recover from any reputational damage. That, uh, um, that they may have suffered as a result of the breach. You might want to think as well if there are, are, are other impacts that are specific to your organization. Um, you know, is your organization uh, one that uh, markets itself on a high degree of trust? Um, you know, the impact, uh, the reputational damage um, to, to such an organization of a data breach is obviously going to be higher um, to an organization who um, is perhaps you know, not a terribly well-trusted um, organization in the market. So what should marketing departments do next? Um, well, um, in uh, keeping to the, uh, the, the script of using chevrons to indicate uh, um, a process in motion. We've um, we've got some nice coloured chevrons here um, that indicate some of the the key things. So, first and foremost, ensure you've got consent to continue using your existing data sources. Okay, if you're in any doubt about that, um, really make sure that you've got it covered off by uh, the time the GDPR goes live. Um, you don't want to be left, um, you know, with a, a vastly reduced data set 
um, just because you haven't had time to um, enhance it or improve the data quality or uh, get consent before um, the GDPR comes in, in place. Um, Understand the types of data that you've got. Um, so you know, participate in the data categorization and data mapping exercises that other parts of your organization um, are participating in. Um, understand um, and again, participate in the creation of uh, data purposes and make sure that they're in place. Make sure your marketing systems uh, have the ability to comply with the GDPR. You know all the things about um, you know logging consent, um, uh, understanding and documenting where uh, data came from, which list it came from. Uh, put in place and again uh, participate in the creation of uh, a data incident response plan. You know this is really mandated by the GDPR because you've only got 72 hours um, to respond. Um, you can no longer. Um, say well, that's okay. If uh, if we should get hit, then we'll um, you know we'll decide what we're going to do. You know, should that happen, um, you're going to have so little time to actually respond now. Um, you know, with only having 72 hours, then you're going to have to um, have a a predetermined plan uh, that you can uh, that you can play to. And uh, finally, there be able to demonstrate compliance. So be able to demonstrate that you're doing the right things, that you are. Um, uh, that you're taking people off of the, the marketing lists um, when they uh, when they request it, that you're able to produce information about who is on the marketing list should a, um, a data subject um, issue a subject access request, which basically is their right to um, gain access to the data. Um, so make sure that you're compliant in all of those ways. Um, one of the next steps, or you know, if you need help in the next steps, uh, Fifth Step has uh, what we call the, the Fifth Step uh, Quick Start GDPR assessment, and that can help you um, uh, um, help you get on the right track and help you gain some of the benefits we've, um, that we've spoken about there. And I'll let you read uh, um, some of those details. Uh, I've seen a couple of questions come in. If anyone's got any any further questions, then please do ask them now, because we're um, just about at the point when we're going to start moving into questions. So I can see a couple of, uh, of questions, as I said. Let's, uh, let's see who we've got here. Um, thank you very much uh, for, uh, for participating in this, mate. Let's see if I can extend those out. Okay. Um, okay, so a uh, question here from Tim. Um, can we exclude any non-EU contacts from our uh, e-privacy compliance activities, e.g. Uh, US, Asia, and Australian clients who live and work in those territories? Would they need to have uh, non-EU operations or offices. Okay, Tim. Um, it all comes down to where you're doing the data processing. Um, these processes and uh, approaches have to be in place for EU residents. Okay. Um, if you are processing the data within Europe, though, actually there's not really a restriction. You have to uh, the GDPR. Um, says it has to be in place for EU residents, but then you have to treat all personal data this way. So even if um, they're Australian residents um, and you're processing the data um, in the in the UK, for example, uh, then you would still have to adhere to uh, these uh, these uh, these rules. So you'd have to process it in the same way. Now, one of the things that you should um, uh, Considering that, though, if you've got systems that are operating in other locations, so if you've got a CRM system, for example, that's based in Australia, um, and you're just having all of your um, Australian um, uh, target or prospects or you know, marketing lists uh, contained on that, then that would be absolutely fine. Okay, and likewise for the other territories that you're talking about there. But do be aware, do be aware, <clears throat> GDPR isn't the only data protection regulation. Australia has its own um, data protection regulation. Uh, there are countries in Asia, such as um, um, the uh, Philippines, has data protection. Singapore has data protection, and there are uh, and there are others um, that um, that mean you'd have to adhere to their data protection regulation too. Okay, so just have a think about it from that perspective. And Tim, I know you dropped me a mail um, previously asking me this um, uh, this question, or uh, to ensure that we uh, covered it in the in the webinar. Uh, if I've not answered that fully enough, um, then do drop me a mail. I'm happy to um, have a coffee and go into a little bit more detail uh, with you if that uh, if that helps. Okay, all more questions coming through. Excellent news. 
Okay, so another question here. For existing clients, can we continue to share relevant messages by email by using legitimate interest without the need for opt-in? No, unfortunately you can't. Um, that's the soft opt-in um, that I mentioned earlier on. Um, you need to make sure that you've got active consent now. Okay, another, yeah, even though there's no soft opt-in. Yeah, sorry, um, no, you can't do that. Um, okay, is there a, an automated way of, um, sorry, let me understand that question. Oh yeah, is there a way of automating GDPR processes uh, with um, software, for example? Um, yes, there are some, um, some processes that you can automate. That's a very good question. Um, so things like uh, data retention. So if you're only allowed to uh, market to these people uh, uh, whilst they um, whilst they're subscribed, once they've unsubscribed, you're going to delete their data. Um, obviously, you can have um, a field that's uh, you know within your database or your CRM which is unsubscribed, and um, have an automated process that goes through and deletes any users. Uh, sorry, any data subjects that, um, that that tick that box. So you could do those kind of things. Okay, so as a compliment at the beginning, explained very well. Um, need to uh, track the origin of the data. Um, what are my obligations if I use external supply, e.g., um, e Mailchimp or? Um, RISO assessment uh, provider. Um, how can I be sure they delete the data? This is an excellent question, and actually, I've spent uh, most of the morning with a uh, with a client going through um, some similar um, challenges uh, about third party um, third party um, uh, providers and service providers. Under the GDPR, you remain responsible. Okay, so you, you can outsource the function, but you cannot outsource the responsibility. So um, the answer to your question is you need to be responsible for uh, vetting and ensuring that your external um, third parties are in compliance and adherence with the Data Protection Act, uh, sorry, with the GDPR, with the Data Protection Act as well uh, before the GDPR, but um, you know, under the, um, you know, for this presentation it's really about the GDPR. Okay, so you must uh, you must vet them, and you must go through a process of um, you know vendor assessment and vendor management. Larger organisations that may, like Mailchimp, larger organisations like Mailchimp will probably um, have uh, signed up to the GDPR, um, and you'll find um, statements of uh, compliance uh, within their website. Uh, I can't say for definite uh, with Mailchimp, but have a look at uh, have a look at that as an option. And if not, you may need to go and find other uh, uh, other suppliers. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, another question here about legitimate interest. Um, um, Tim, you are right. There is a legitimate interest under the new e-privacy um, directive, but e-privacy isn't um, um, isn't live yet. And um, I think that's one of those areas where marketers are definitely saying that the existing PECR and um, uh, GDPR, uh, for example, are uh, loggerheads. Okay, there is no soft opt-in if you are collecting um, personal data um, uh, for uh, for European residents, unfortunately. So. Um, um, my, um, uh, my advice would be err on the side of caution there. Um, E-privacy uh, regulations um, don't have the teeth that GDP, uh, GDPR do, um, so I would err on the caution in terms of making sure that you're compliant with the GDPR and um, uh, seek active consent from your, um, you know, from your market, you know, from those you want to market to. All of that said. Um, I think the engagement levels with people who have opted in is likely to be higher as well. So you may actually find that um, that it works well for you, even though you've uh, probably got a, a large list um, that is, um, um, you know, that demonstrates le le legitimate interest. Um, for those who have already been receiving emails and haven't opted out, um, there is an argument there, and I have heard others make this argument that people have um, opted in and remain um, opted in. Um, 
I think there's a fairly good argument for that, particularly if you've been mailing them for a while uh, before the GDPR is in place. But I would definitely err on the side of caution if you're in any doubt. Okay, so if you're if you're unsure whether you've got the right to email these people and you're only emailing them once a year, then it may be um, you know time to drop them an email and um, and make sure that you're um, uh, that you've got their consent. But be aware of um, the, the slide where I put up the uh, the details about uh, Flybe and Honda uh, got fined because they were actively marketing or actively emailing people who had said that they didn't want to be uh, to receive emails. Okay, one more question. I have got unfortunately I have got more than one uh, one question remaining. So what I will do is I will include um, uh, answers to uh, some of those other questions um, in the podcast version of this. So I'll just cover off this one more. Um, uh, of uh, one of these uh, questions here. So, um, what about an example of a recent data breach? Um, some of the really big ones, they've lost lots of data. Um, um, what would the cost of, or what would the fines be? I think the person's asking here, what would the fines be under GDPR? Um, it's difficult to say uh, with absolute certainty. Um, one example that we can draw upon was the TalkTalk Talk example. Um, TalkTalk Talk were fined uh, £400,000 um, for their, uh, their data breach. Some of you may uh, remember, particularly if you're based in the UK. Um, now, £400,000 is four-fifths of the maximum uh, under the Data Protection Act. So, um, would they have got fined four-fifths of the maximum under GDPR? I can't say with absolute certainty, of course. Um, but um, you know, you can certainly see that they might have been uh, fined several million pounds instead of um, the four hundred thousand pounds they were fined um, in this case. Well, I hope this has been an interesting webinar for you. I like to try and keep them on time, even though I was a, a couple of minutes late. So I know that people will start to drop off in the next couple of minutes. Um, if you've enjoyed the webinar, please do pass on the details to your colleagues. Um, you will receive an email over the next couple of days about how. Um, about how you can listen or listen again, either as a pop podcast or on YouTube. Um, I've also written a book about uh, GDPR. Um, um, it's a general book, and I aim to uh, create uh, uh, more a sense of you can. You know, this is just a, something that the organisation can deal with. It's not as big and scary as some organisations like to make out. Um, particularly, you'll see those uh, those people um, saying a lot on GDPR about how scary it is. Um, and if you are interested in GDPR and learning more about GDPR, um, subscribe to the Fifth Step podcast and come and visit our blog. Um, I write, and as do others, on uh, GDPR and other subjects. Um, thank you very much for your attention today. Please do reach out if you've got further questions. I'm more than happy to answer those uh, where I can. And uh, Tim, a specific uh, invitation to you and anyone else on the um, on the webinar. If uh, I've not answered your question, or indeed I've not answered it fully enough, and you want to get into some more of the details, then please do uh, feel free to drop me an email. Uh, my contact details are there, and you can uh, reach me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you very much for your time today, and I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you.